this morning, I just want to make a few comments and, um, and then remind us of the story or the account or the reality of God's salvation in the earth that we are actually living in. It's very easy to, um, I guess you could say, live on the sidelines of life or live on the, the benches that unless you're professionally qualified in so many other things or whatever these days, then you can't participate. Um, And so you watch others do it or the qualified, you know, show you how it's done. Um, And unfortunately, for the follower of Jesus, um, there's been a lot of people who have felt sidelined from the actual story of God's saving power in the earth and what he's actually doing today. And... By living on the sidelines, we actually even forget the story or the reality of the kingdom of God that we're living in. It's very easy to forget that. And so I want to make some comments this morning about um, the week that was or the last few weeks that have been uh, for us as Australians. And then I want to remind us again of the biblical account of the testimony of Jesus Christ as it's been handed down to us according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, according to the witness of those who were there, according to the hope that our best days are still in front of us, even as the kingdom is continuing to break in upon us um, every day. So... Um, I, it's, uh, I, I think, you know, the last... Well, this week or the last few weeks have been nothing short of in many ways for many people watching what's happening in our nation, a, um, a distressing time in many regards. Um, I think, the, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was shocking to think that, um, you know, one of our most favourite pastimes playing cricket, could see one of Australia's great young players die in an instant of a loose, or just a, a, a bowl, and he, he took, took his eye off the ball and it hit him in the back of the head, and within, within a minute he was, he was dead. Um, quite shocking to think that something that we celebrate and play in our backyards, I mean, growing up as a kid, I remember... You know, my brother steaming down the backyard at me with the ball. You know, all you know, we'd play with the proper ball. You know, the six-stitch leather thing, and you know, we would play with, if if we had any, one pad on the front leg, and the rest of it was was just there was the bat is what you had to use to protect yourself, and um, you know that we've grown up playing this game, and uh, it's this. Every time at this time of year, you know, um, everyone gets out on the street in the summer and plays backyard cricket. We pull the wheelie bins out and, uh, you know, paint the stumps on the wheelie bins and we hit the ball into the neighbour's yard and, we, you know, well, it's your turn to get over the fence and, by the way, over the fence on the full is out. You know, all those sort of things. And, and, and in the midst of what ha- is, is uh, um, just a... A, a great game and of national past and time and great celebration and joy that brings a lot of, um, you know, families both together and apart, depending on who's the umpire. 
whether or not the batsman gets to say whether he's in or out or if it's the bowler's call. But all of that aside, it was like just shocking what happened to um, Philip Hughes. It was just completely shocking to think that it's a game of cricket and all of a sudden someone's, someone's died. And um, it kind of left a whole big gulp in, in, in the Australian sporting community. Was, and um, I thought the way that um, Michael Clark, as the captain of the Australian cricket team, continued to um, present himself to the media and the process, I thought he did an amazing job of, of navigating and leading at a really difficult time. Um, because even though we don't know Philip Hughes personally, uh, we've watched him on TV. Um, we've held a cricket bat like he's held a cricket bat. You know, there's this sense of connection there that is quite powerful. And it was just shocking and it was like, gosh, how could, how could that happen to a bloke like that? Um, and it kind of left a lot of people feeling very fragile about the game and even the players themselves when they came back onto the field a week or so later to, to play again and to bowl. You know, they had to work through all of their fears, their anxieties, their concerns that will this happen again? And, and even the commentators in the first few overs of the first test in Adelaide, Australia v India, there was a, there was a few sort of short deliveries and the batsmen had to sort of pitch back and defend themselves. And the, even the commentators were nervous that, gosh, maybe this could happen again. It, it left an unsettledness in our... In our love for the game and as a people. Hard to think that... It's, it sort of seems silly that a game of cricket could hold that much kind of emotional weight, but it did, and it does. And, of course, um, you know, it was extremely sad to uh, watch the funeral and to, to think, gosh, uh, a life cut short, a young man. Still had a whole life to live, you know? could have gone on to greatness in the game and was in fact on his way back into the first grade team. Really difficult one to watch, really touching. Um, and of course, uh, this week, my goodness, this week, uh, what a, just an absolutely shocking week. Shocking week that in our wonderful, loving Australia that a couple of, well, this is only just two, two incidences that I'm going to share here, uh, but there's many others as well taking place. But the first in Sydney, where, where an Islamic extremist would take people hostage in a coffee shop and hold them hostage. And after 17 hours of standoff... Um, the manager of the coffee shop steps forward to put himself on the line and risk his life for the well-being of the hostages and actually dies in the process and then a, um, another lady died at the same time. Uh, who, who'd have thought, you know? Who'd have thought that downtown Sydney, something like that, would could happen. And then just 
the other night, you know, I came home to turn on the news and it's just this tragic thing that's happened up in Cairns this week. It's like this uh, seven young children or young people have been killed in one house. I mean, this is a really heavy week. And I think it's interesting that Neil's um, selection of songs for us to sing to God this week about God and who our God is, he, he, he really zeroed in on the theme of when the darkness comes near and touches, yet we will declare, Lord, you are great, you are good, your kingdom remains. We declare that you love the world um, and that you are light and hope to the world. Uh, you know, I think it's really, really important that, that that message is the one that we live and not just talk. It's been a terrible week, terrible few weeks for our way of life, to our sense of freedom, to our sense of peace. Um, and as a nation, uh, we're kind of reeling from it a bit at the moment. There's a lot of people who are just emotionally worn out and shocked by it all and there's a, it's left a lot of people wondering if ever they can feel safe again you know once upon a time I felt safe walking around the streets of Sydney but now not only Sydney but anywhere really can we be safe um, there's many of us that are um, stunned and for many if you spend too much time pondering the brokenness of all of this, there's many who are now starting to become bitter and hopelessness is um, building a case in their hearts. And it's into that that I want to speak this morning, not just for us here, but into the collective sense of the spiritual well-being of, our, of the Australian people. Um, we've seen that even in the midst of some of this terrible stuff, We've seen a, um, a response to some of this that really shows us that there is another part of us as human beings that um, wants to rise up in the face of this devastation and these shocking things and say, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We're not saying it won't be that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, we've seen a lot of um, political leaders and um, religious leaders stand up and want to speak into the context that's happening, and so they should. We need voices at this time. But what has been really revealed in all of this is that our need for safety and our need for control that we hand over to others and to governments and to authorities in the earth, our need for all of this, for, for control, is really exposed here, really exposed. And in the fact that we can't control these things, even though we have invested time, energy and resources into leaders and, and organisations to contain, to make us feel safe, the reality is we can't contain what's going on in the earth. There is a growing reality of this unrest. There is a growing reality of this unrest. And it seems as though, particularly in our country, 
and in Europe and in the West as we know it, there is a growing decline of the Christian faith. And unfortunately, because we live in that part of the the story, we can have a very warped lens. The Christian faith is exploding in the world in the sense of growing rapidly, just not in the West where we live. And we need to watch for this. There is a rise of terrorist activity in our, in our world. There is a rise of people doing stupid things in the name of their God that are not just silly decisions, but they are the, been fueled by uh, the demonic powers of the air. And the, there is a great sense of brokenness of people that quickly wants to um, take control of these matters. If we can just minimise the risk. We've lived in a very, very safe society for many years. But our world is changing. Values like tolerance and acceptance... I believe, through the, the current political processes, are really liberalising our world. And I don't think they're leading us in a healthy way. This is just Kirk Delaney talking here. We're a great country. I believe we do have national identity that is born out of the heart of God that we are yet to walk in the power of. But at this time, there's a whole bunch of national confusion and anger and grief. But this Christmas, I think God's inviting us to join the declaration that was made by a a winemaker in 1847. And I can't say his name, it's French. But he wrote this in one of his songs that he wrote in 1847. He wrote... Truly, he taught us, he being Jesus, taught us to love one another. And his law is love, and his gospel is peace. And chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression will cease. We sing sweet hymns of joy, and grateful chorus raise we. With all our hearts, we praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Then ever, ever praise we his power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 15, 13, he wrote, May the God of hope... Fill you all with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that your life would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. There is the call of the heart of God to the follower of Jesus in our country, in our world this very day. That we would be the people who are filled with all joy and peace and overflowing with that reality 
in our context as we don't bear down for control, but as we trust in Jesus and what Jesus is doing and what the Father is doing in advancing his kingdom and destroying the kingdom of darkness at the same time. Paul's praying for the Christian, and it's my prayer, I'm joining with Paul, that for each of us this Christmas, as a follower of Jesus, that your life will be filled, not with anxiety, not with the need for control, not with grief, not with hopelessness, but filled with the reality of the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. That's, that's our prayer. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for, the, for every, everyone I know and don't know. That they would be filled with joy and peace as they trust in Jesus in their situation. You know, yesterday we had our, our um, family lunch on my side of the family, on the Delaney side. We got together for a Christmas lunch yesterday and and so before we had lunch, we got all the food together and, you know, we said grace as usual, but I just said to everyone, I said, all right, let's just get in a big circle. I know there's about 20 of us in the room and I just said, what I want you to do is, it's really easy, you know, and right that we should be asking for blessing on our life. It's right to pray that. It's right to have that posture before God. But as much as I want it for me, I said to everyone, let's just think of either one person or one family, or one global situation, just one thing that's on your heart today that you would want them to know the very blessing that you yourself are asking for of God on your life. And so we went around the circle, and everyone had to speak out that situation. And the kids would speak out some of their friends from school who have had um, all sorts of health issues, some of the uh, some of us prayed, for, declared, you know, healing for Ethan, who's still in hospital, struggling with his, his lung condition that's going on even still this morning. Um, for some, they just spoke out for the Indigenous people of Australia, that they would know life and fullness and health. For some, they spoke out for the, 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 the Christians of Iraq, who are being just obliterated, as we know it, and martyred. Uh, for some, it was for great-grandparents, and for some, it was uh, work colleagues. But it was, God, we, as much as you would fill us, fill us with the knowledge of Christ. We want this for others. We want this for others. And until we let the power of that grip us, we will continue to sit on the sidelines, folks, and we will observe what God is doing in the world rather than, like John is saying, inviting us to be participants with God in what God is doing as he is saving the world. We, don't, we weren't saved to sit on the sideline. Paul's prayer was, and it's our prayer for you, that you would be filled with the reality of knowing Jesus Christ, who is the God of hope. Not the God of hopelessness, not the God of avoidance, but the God who enters into the reality of the human condition. Matthew's gospel tells us in Matthew chapter 1. Can we just pop that up there, Pat? Matthew chapter 1. 
And we see in this account, in Matthew's gospel, of when the angel meets with Joseph that night and he starts to tell him what's going to take place. Because Joseph was about to, you know, um, move on from Mary. But the angel of the Lord came to him and said, no, stay there, stay with her. Because what is happening in her is born of the Holy Spirit of God. And as he, as he stays in that relationship with her, he says, a bit further down there, he says, uh, Joseph, that should be the son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. The birth of the Christ child is about the saving work of God. Jesus is about salvation. And I don't know if you've read the book, but there's this really, really awesome scripture towards the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, where it says that as, as John was looking at, 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 at the end of the end of the end, where God was reconciling all things to himself, he said he could see like this, ocean of people all dressed in like these garments of white and 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 there was this there was so many people from every and he talks about every tribe and language group and nation of the earth of God's created order so i imagine there are people of you know just like even among us of, of recent days, we've got people from South Africa and England and the Philippines and, and, and uh, South America and um, Ireland and, uh, you know, just from all the nations of, of the world. We're all gathered around God, giving praise to God. And John says there were so many there that they could not be counted. All worshipping and giving glory and ascribing greatness to God. This, this is where we're headed. Don't ever forget that. It's easy to lose that in, in the daily grind of where we're living, in this present evil age, as Paul would call it. Hold fast to the God of hope. Dig deep into him right now. Push, push into him. Push everything aside that wants to take you far from him and reach into him. Lean into him. He is the God of hope and he fills and he informs your life so that our life would be one of fruit, of being in relationship with the God of hope, of a relationship of intimacy and not give up the idea of safe controllable relationship. <laughs> Give it up. Give it up. The ferocious love of God is advancing and he's crashing into your life all the time as he is to mine. And he's crashing into our world all the time with love breaking through. Let there be a fruitful experience as you walk up close and personal with God. Let it be one with deep, profound joy and peace. I know those two things sound really hard to hold on to in the context of what's going on in Australia right now and what we've seen this last week. It's not a denial of what's happening at all. It's not a like, oh, 
that's because we're not talking about an emotional pick-me-ups. We're not talking about being in relationship with an emotional pick-me-up when it gets tough. Because the joy of God in Jesus Christ has come to destroy the work of the enemy and to save the people from their sin. So God is engaging. It's his joy. It's his love. It's the gladness of his heart to keep reaching in to where it does not look like his kingdom rule and reign. And he invites us to join with him and participate, not step back, not be anxious, not be fearful, and not feel like we don't have the resources because we have the God of hope. And Paul, Paul's prayer is that the God of hope would be so filling you and me that our life would overflow with that reality by the power of his Holy Spirit. So that every time we're put in a situation where it doesn't look like heaven and it doesn't look like the kingdom of God, we have the resources of God to be able to step into that with the confidence and the peace and the joy and the heart and the gladness of God to know we can contend with this, we can stand in this, we lean not on our own power, but we lean deeply into the power of him uh, who saves. A fruitful life. Now is the time, I believe, for followers of Jesus everywhere to be carriers and dispensers of God's good hope in Christ to the world. We're meant to be spillover people. Spillover people. Not half full, not half tanked, but spillover people who have been filled with the peace and joy of God by the power and person of the Holy Spirit, that our hearts, our choices, our mindset, our worldview, our daily relationships with God and with, with other people would express a spilling over of the fact that the angel of the Lord said to Joseph that night, stay in the game, mate, don't step back, don't walk away, hold fast because what is happening here is born of God and his kingdom will come and it will save the people from their sinfulness and their brokenness. Hold fast. If there's one thing that the gospel of the good news of Jesus tells us, it is to hold fast. So how do we see the kingdom of God come? How do we, as Paul might say in Philippians where he says, what are we meant to, how are we meant to shine like the stars of the universe, as we hold out the hope of the gospel to people around us. Jesus was born as a prince of peace. Jesus was born to be God with us, saviour, Lord, crucified, suffering servant, risen, victorious, and returning king. How do we hang in there with Jesus? Well, Paul encourages us in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to quickly read this to you. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, verse 10. He says, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Let your convictions rest on who the revelation of God is in Jesus Christ. Let your conviction, let your emotions, let your mindset, let your actions be informed by who God has revealed himself to be as mighty and powerful. Not, not just in the lordship of Jesus Christ, but also in the historical revelation of who God was up to 
the inbreaking of God with us. Be strong in the Lord. Let not any situation or circumstance to determine our worldview. In, re- in response, let the strength and the love of God determine it. So many times I find myself in situations where I feel like, God, what do we do here? How, do, how are we going to approach this? How are we going to see your kingdom come into this? Well, Paul prayed to the, in the Colossians. He said, let, let, let the energy or the power of Christ be at work in you. Be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let his power, let his life be at work in us. Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on a full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers, of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're living in that situation. That, that's our context. I mean, it's nice to be able to step out into the backyard and water the plants and think that it's all beautiful. <laughs> but you're watering the plants, the beauty of all of that creation, in the context of taking a stand against the enemy's works in the earth. God has placed us in a spiritual battle that he has and is and will win for the well-being of people's eternity. Now, some will choose to say no to the gospel of hope and for them there rests an eternity of, well, I shouldn't use the word rest, but as Jesus would understand it, a, a, a very fiery, uncomfortable, eternal experience without God. But for those who say yes to him in the age to come, every tear will be wiped away. All pain will be gone and there'll be great reconciliation. Realise you're in a spiritual battle. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you can take your stand, your ground. And having done everything, stand. Stand firm with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. In other words, Pray in the Spirit, Spirit there, capital S, the person of the Holy Spirit, as he is interceding in you. Paul would maybe use the language of with groanings, deep groanings that words cannot express. As he, join with him in that on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. And Paul says, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I can declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, it's true we live in a time where if you want to say anything public about Jesus, you'll be ridiculed and vilified. And you'll be sidelined and you'll be put on the, you know, you'll be considered weird. But don't let that spiritual dynamic cultural attitude and work of the enemy shut you down 
Paul's saying, pray that you would be bold in your declaration. And he's saying that from a context of being in chains, <laughs> not, not watering the garden, being in chains. He's, he's saying, guys, this is a battle. This is a battle for the well-being of humanity into eternity. This, that's the battle. Unfortunately, we've, we've reduced it to, what, to make it all about me. Pray on all occasions and remember that the kingdom in which you live is now and forevermore. The, the love of God in Jesus Christ, the death-conquering, all-powerful, resurrected Jesus, remember his love and the unfailing nature of that love, that his kingdom is advancing, even though sometimes in your daily situation you don't see it. Even in your own situation of mind, you may not see this sense of advance. Know that it is, and I'll share something of that in a minute. People are being saved into Jesus every single second on planet Earth. Did you realize that? Did you realize that? That all across this earth right now, even as I snap my fingers every second, there are people, human beings, just like you and me, coming into a personal saving relationship with Jesus. And they will be right there with you and me gathered around the throne with so many of us there that none could count singing, thank you, God, all glory and power to you. Just like that. Hang on to that. That is part of the reality in which you're living, even though you may not see it. There was a great um, encounter one day where Jesus has um, come into town on the donkey in John 12, and it was after he'd raised Lazarus from the dead, and there was a whole bunch of people getting like wowed up about the fact that Jesus was on the scene. And, and the commentators of Jesus in that day, the, the Pharisees, they said in John 12, 19, see... This is getting us nowhere trying to shut this Jesus down. This is getting us nowhere. And their words, as recorded by John, were, look at how the whole world is going after him. The whole world, their, lang their language was, the whole world's going after Jesus. There is something so profound and powerful about Jesus. Um, Colossians 1, 6, the very last slide. If you can ch throw that up there, Pat. Colossians 1.6 says, In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit, says Paul, and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day that you heard it and you truly understood God's grace. The kingdom's advancing. The kingdom's advancing all over this earth. I just Here, let me just read a few things out to you. This is written by... Um, uh, a young lady, and this, it's, a, it's an old article, but it's a good one. This is back in 2006. I've got something more current, and I'll share it with you in a minute. But <clears throat> she says, Christianity is openly mocked in the media and television, movies, print, nightly news portrays a world seemingly in despair and with no hope. The US, Canada, and Europe continue their downward slide away from God in their rejection of anything that has to do with Jesus or the Bible. Even common sense 
and tenets of basic human morality are regularly attacked and vilified. And yet, the truth is that in our time, now she's in 2006 and she prefaces it with some stats. She says, worldwide, God is winning. The Holy Spirit is greatly moving in what was once called, quote-unquote, the third world. And we need to be thankful and even amazed at what God is doing. Habakkuk 1.5, she quotes, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, because I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Well, June 15, 26, 3 million people, 3 million believers paraded through South, I can't say it, the world's largest city in Brazil, Sao Paulo in Brazil. 3 million people marched for Jesus. Imagine that on the street. The number of Christians in Indonesia has grown from 1.3 million 40 years ago to over 11 million today. That said, of the 76,000 villages in that country, 50,000 of them are without a church. Damn, we need some church planters in a hurry, don't we? If the Bible, she's got references to back all that stuff up, but if, if the Bible translation had continued at its historic, historic pace, providing a Bible in every people group's heart language, would have been, it would have been accomplished in 2150. But thanks to God, and he's working through Wycliffe's vision, where the work has been accelerated over the past 100 years and now on pace to be completed by 2042. Some of you guys will still be here breathing then, by 2042. Every language group in the world, according to Wycliffe, every known language group will have a, a, a version of the Bible. This is happening in our world, the world in which we're living today, right now. The Jesus film, it's been translated into nearly a thousand languages and over 200 uh, yeah, 200 million people have made a decision for Christ as a result of watching that film. Um, no Christian was allowed to officially live in Nepal before 1960. Now there is a church in every one of the 75 districts of Nepal which estimates over half a million believers. There's, vine there's a vineyard church in that group too. There's a couple of vineyards up there. Um, how's this one? About 500 Muslims come to faith in Christ every month in Iran. This is going on. Are we seeing a Bangladesh book of Acts? A church leader wrote, he said... By your strong prayers, the Lord has saved 4,452 people and planted 150 churches from January to June 2006. Our prayer request is that we would plant 300 churches and see 9,000 people saved in 20, 2006. Now, I don't know if that happened or not, but every day, 20,000 Africans come to Christ. 
every day. God's moving all over the world with great power. His ferocious love is breaking in. <clears throat> every day, 50,000 people in countries served by uh, Asia Access, which is a Christian organization, come to Christ. 50,000 people a day in Asia are coming to Christ. There are currently 60 to 80 million Christians in China. Between 10,000, as Open Doors are doing the numbers here, between 10,000 and 25,000 converts a day. Somewhere between 10 and 25,000 a day are coming to Christ in China. This lady makes a comment in this little article she's written. She says, imagine if only one out of every six believers reproduced themselves one time every year. So just sort of group yourselves in sixes. Just think about the six people that are immediately around you. Imagine if one of you led someone to Christ every year. She says the entire world would be reached for Christ by the year 2020. (laughs) The Lord's Great Commission, go into all the world. Now, at the same time, there are some sad realities about this context of conflict, and I want to read that to you as well. This is an article in uh, 2nd of September uh, 2011, Uh, the International Bulletin of Missionary Research has published in its Status of Global Missions report uh, a number of things. It says, The report is unfailingly interesting, sometimes jarring and occasionally provocative. The provocation in the 2011 reports involve martyrdom. For the purposes of research... The report defines martyrs as believers in Jesus who have lost their lives prematurely in situations of witness as a result of human hostility toward them for their love for Jesus. The report estimates that there were, on average, 270 new Christian martyrs every 24 hours over the past decade. Over the past 10 years, every 24 hours, 270 of our brothers and sisters in Jesus have been killed for loving Jesus around our world. Paul is saying we are in a great contest of spiritual conflict. Don't forget the story we're in. Don't forget the reality of the saving work of God that we're in and a part of. She says, interesting... According to the report here by this guy, there will be by mid 2011 2,306,000,000 Christians of all kinds across the world, representing about 33% of the world's population, an increase from the mid 2000s, but only slight. And of those 2.3 billion Christians, some 1.5 billion belong to a fellowship of believers who worship in worship centres of different kinds. Um, Compared to the world's 2.3 billion Christians, there are 1.6 billion Muslims, 
951 million Hindus, 468 billion Buddhists, 458 million Chinese folk religionists, and 137 million atheists, and they make a comment here, whose numbers, the atheists that is, have actually dropped over the past decade despite the, uh, the best efforts of Richard Dawkins and Hitchens and co. But as of mid-2011, there will be an average of 80,000 new Christians every day. But at the same time, there will be 79,000 new Muslims every day, but 300 fewer atheists every 24 hours. <laughs> How God's on the move. We've been saved into a kingdom that is advancing in the earth. And it is, it is his heart that none would perish. And I, and I just, can I just, let me zero it in just to finish with just a little bit closer to home. Um, I just want to read something to you about the work that you all have been doing as you've been praying and serving and giving through the work of the Vineyard Mercy Centre. Let me just read this to you. Um, Nikki Brown wrote to us the other day and she says, So this year, the last 12 months, this, our Mercy Centre has given away 1,072 food parcels. Now they're $27 a shot, those food parcels. You can do the maths. 1,072 food parcels. We've also turned away people because in January to March this year, we actually ran out so we couldn't actually give them away because we'd had none to give in that period of time. In 2013, the number we gave away was 918. The year before that was 773. She said, to my best approximations, we've given away 3,000 fruit and veggie packs. We've given away about 5,000 loaves of bread. We've served up about 12,000 cups of tea. And about 8,000 pieces of clothing have been sold or given away. Other things have been we've referred and advocated for people for accommodation, for employment, for income support and for mental health support and issues that they're working through. We've delivered home, food to homes as needed, toys to people who have uh, families that need toys, organised furniture and baby items for many families of our region. That's just this year. What is the fruit of that? Well, let's get really zeroed down. Let's, let's put a microscope on this. And one of the members of our fellowship here, she posted an experience that she had just yesterday. Just yesterday. Like, not even, well, maybe about 24 hours ago, exactly. And she was down here yesterday morning praying with the team as she comes down here. And she was down in the Mercy Centre and the Mercy Centre has now closed for a week or so. But she was down there working away and had the door left open. And she says, um, a person came and his name was Joshua. He obviously didn't know it was closed. And he needed food. He barely had any petrol and he'd driven from Zilmia. And there were some others there that wanted bread. And I was able to help them Luckily, by having some of the buns that were in the freezer that I'd set aside for my own Christmas family celebrations, uh, that they were there, she was able to access them, and then another bloke came to the back door with food donations to help. When I 
And then she says, I unpacked a box of books to use as to put the food in, to carry the food. And when the, the gentleman, Joshua, browsed through the books, he came back with a book. And, he, and it was a gospel of the New Testament. And we got talking, and he mentioned about the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then another of our members here at the church who was there overheard this conversation, and they came into the conversation, and they talked about um, God and how he was not... Jesus was not just a God, but the one and only God who had died for our sins and asked Joshua if he wanted to invite Jesus Christ into his life. And he said, yes. We prayed with him and it was wonderful. And he was born again. And Jesus now lives inside of him, confident that he will come to church soon as he has enough petrol. He also wanted to pray to get his other car on the road. Certainly changed our day. Over a thousand food parcels. Over 3,000 fruit and veggie packs had to be served. Over 5,000 loaves of bread, over 12,000 cups of tea, over 8,000 pieces of clothing, and much, much more so that Joshua could come into the kingdom of God knowing Jesus, not even maybe, maybe right on 24 hours ago, just here. That's the story we're living in. That's the reality. Don't lose, don't ever lose that reality. There's a lot of pressure on to want to rob that reality. Don't lose it. Hang on. Take your stand. And I pray this Christmas that we will be filled by the God of hope with joy and peace, that we would be overflowing with that reality of his love in Jesus Christ, that the world would know that they are loved by God and that they would turn to him. And even with the however 80,000 people a day, every 24 hours or whatever it is, that are turning to Christ, so too we would see more and more and more here in our very town and life and families. Let the God of hope fill you. There's a lot of media right now that wants to tell you what the story is and what the reality is. We live in a different reality to that, and it's a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of hope. You guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. Spill, spill the hope of joy and peace to everyone you can. Spill over, spill over this Christmas. As you ask for God to bless you and every circumstance you're walking through that's hard and difficult and you want to see change in, as much as you're calling out for yourself, call out for someone else too, will you? Call out for someone else that they'll be with you on that great day where together with John the Revelator, we'll be amongst that massive sea of people so big that none can count giving praise and glory to God forever. Why don't we stand and pray? Father, I thank you for um, the revelation of your great love for us as revealed in Jesus, and particularly at this time as we celebrate you as... um, 
Emmanuel, as God with us. We just take great joy in your commitment to loving us. We take great joy, great comfort, and find great peace in you, God. And where we have, Lord, sought to um, engage with you from a distance or even just watch from the sideline, I pray that this Christmas, Lord, you would just generously invade, invade, invade with your love our lives again. Invade our lives again. Invade our lives again. Holy Spirit, would you just come now and fill everyone. Fill everyone. And the children as they're hanging out next door, fill them now. Let there be a fresh infilling. And with that, a corresponding overflowing. Fill. Be filled, people. Be filled. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the people of God again. Overflow in them again, Lord. More Holy Spirit. Fill. Fill. All of the recesses of our heart that we've tried to hold back from you, Lord. Fill. With your gracious ways, your ferocious love, your joy and peace, fill the crevices of our thinking where we've just been in argument with you of what you've wanted to do with our life. Fill. Come, Holy Spirit. Release again, Lord, great vision in the heart of every single person here of what you're doing in the earth today and our part in it. Show us, Lord. Show us, Lord. Give us the eyes to see. Give us the courage and strength of your grace to say, yes, Lord, use me. Take me, send me. I'll pay, I'll do whatever that we would see more and more and more people come into the kingdom of our God. And that we would see you, God, save the people from their sins. Come, Holy Spirit, fill, fill everyone. Don't let us go out of here today wondering if we're filled. Fill. Fill. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's it. Let joy and peace be yours in great measure this Christmas. Let it spill into your families, your children, your grandchildren. Let it spill into your work colleagues. Let it spill into your fellow students at school and university. 
Let the joy and the peace of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, spill into the people that you walk alongside as you do your shopping this week, as you go to the beach and throw the towel down next to that stranger and you As you're surfing out the back and you're just talking to another surfer on the board out the back, just be filled, be filled, be filled. Be filled.